0: I'm going to share with you a message that I've entitled a firm foundation. Um, <clears throat> you know, we know that Jesus is our foundation. We understand that. He's the cornerstone and all of that. But I, I have a challenge for you this morning. This is not a feel good message. So get ready. It's not a feel good message. It's a message message where I'm going to challenge you to look inside. Deep inside. Um, in 1939, my dad, uh, he'd been married about a year. He was living with his parents. And you know, anybody that's done that, you know what that's like. So he wanted to build a home. And so uh, my grandfather, his dad, gave him a, uh, a plot right across the road from the farm that he'd grown up on. And in turn... Uh, He went, it was, remember, it was right after, it was during the Depression and just before World War II, so he didn't have a lot of money, so he went to Sears and Roebuck to find a house. Now, I don't know how many of you know, but Sears and Roebuck sold houses at one point. You could buy the plans, and then you could buy all the materials that you needed. Uh, Can't say online, via catalog. And he, and he, he bought one of the less expensive houses. There was a little cape. And um, in turn, what they do is they they deliver all the materials to your site. And then you have to build it. Um, The one thing that they don't deliver is the foundation. And my dad, again, not having a lot of money, decided that what he would do is he would lay up a a stone foundation. He wasn't going to do it. He would uh, would hire it out. So consequently, he hired out uh, the from a mason, a master mason, to build this foundation, right? And he and and my great grandfather would take a stone bolt. I asked this in the first service. Two people knew. Does anybody know what a stone bolt is? Nobody knows what a stone bolt is. Oh my goodness! Do you know? Oh, Debbie knows. Well, stone bolt is it's a it's a flat it's a piece of wood on skids. And in this case, it was pulled by a horse, and they would go down into the fields, and they would t- basically took the stone out of the walls, the stone walls that were in the f- on the farm, and they would take the stones, they would bring them back up, they would pull them back up to the site, then they would unload the stone, and, and then this mason, my dad said it was, it was amazing, this mason would come out, and he'd look at the stones, he'd eye them all up, and then he'd pick one stone at a time, and he'd take it over, and he'd, and he'd lay it in place, and he'd mortar it, and, and he built that stone wall. The house is now 82 years old, by the way, still stands. And um, my dad lived in the house until he passed away for 55 years. My grandmother, my, my mom lived there another two years. And, and so consequently, she lived there 57 years. It never leaked one time. One time, never leaked. I mean, the guy was a master. Now, my, my dad was a good carpenter, he he didn't give me any of the skills that he had. I didn't pass that along at all. He was a good carpenter. He was a good electrician. Uh, he was a fair mason, <laughs> and he I mean he could he could lay up a wall. So the, when we added onto the house, when he added onto the house, he he would put up block wall, and the thing was tying it into that stone wall, which is a pain. And every time he tried to tie it in, it would leak. But not the main house. There was never any water. Never had any flooding in that main house. When we, when we were in Brewerton, when we were pastoring in Brewerton in 1984, we started the building there, and we hired masons to come in and lay up the, the block wall for, for the church. And uh, we moved in in April of 85, of, uh, and when we did, I, I took a a bookcase in my office. I shoved it up against the out wall, outer wall and it touched the base, the baseboard, but, I mean, it sat this far away from the uh, upper part of the wall. And I looked at that and went, what is going on? I called the guys in my, my board and I called them and I said, what is this about? And we went downstairs and looked up and they had laid one course too high on wow. that one wall. How that got by us, we don't know. And that block wall always leaked. Foundation. Foundations are essential. Rob's a builder. Foundations are essential. If you don't have a good foundation, you've got a problem. Especially when you live in hurricane territory or earthquake areas, you've got a problem if you don't have a sound, solid foundation, a firm foundation. Well, the reality is that every single one of us sitting in this room, we have a foundation also, a spiritual foundation. So my question right up front to you this morning is what is the condition of your spiritual foundation? What's the condition of it? Now every single one of us, with that spiritual foundation, the reality is it's affected, it's impacted by our past. I mean, I've been saved 47 years. Debbie, I've 47 years. Don't look that old, do I? 40, no. 47 years, I've been saved, and and I'm here to tell you, when I first acknowledged Christ as my Savior, there were some things that I had to deal with. My upbringing, yeah, we went to church, I went to church all the years I was growing up, but I was never told I needed to be saved, or, I mean, all of that impacted my foundation when I went to college, that impacted my foundation. You know, over the years, things that have happened in my life, it, it, it impacts my spiritual foundation. And in some cases, it can weaken the foundation. So the question is, what's your foundation like? Because there are things that have impacted you. And the reality is, we go through storms right now in our life. People have said to me, why this past 2020 was a tough year. It shook me to my core. Were you able to stand successfully? Were you able to stand because you had a firm foundation on which you had built your life? Do you know what the Bible says? Do you understand what it says? Do you study it? Do you realize that truly that found that this book has to be your foundation and you have to build on that? The reality of who God is, who the Almighty is, who the Savior is. If you're built on that foundation, or what chinks are there in that foundation of yours? Because the winds will blow, the storms will come. And what do you do when you lose a job? Or what do you do when your marriage is in trouble? Or what do you do? When the finances are not enough? Or what do you do when you've got a rebellious son, daughter? What do you do when you've got grandchildren that you're concerned for? What do you do? How do you handle it? Do you wring your hands and worry and fret and stew? Or do you stand firm knowing that God is able to take you through? What do you do? Those are great questions, aren't they? And our foundation is what will determine how we stand. And I, I, I well, I have to agree with Pastor, Doug, Pastor Jeff. I've been around a long time. And I've seen things. And one of the things that concern me, concerns me, and this is kind of my passion. There are people sitting in this auditorium this morning. Yeah, they know the book to some extent. But everything is based on one and a half hours that you spend right here on a Sunday morning. Oh, you may sprinkle in devotions when you remember it or you may sprinkle in prayer when you remember it. But you don't spend time together with other believers in prayer or you don't spend time together studying the Bible. You know something? I've been married 47 years. I love that woman sitting over there in that second row more today than I did back when. But I'm telling you, it's taken me 47 years and it didn't come by spending one hour a week. It didn't come by spending 15 minutes a day. It didn't come by any of that. It took hours and days and months and years. And thankfully I have a good relationship with my kids, but boy, that didn't come easily either especially when they got to be teenagers. It took time to build that relationship. Well, how can we possibly build a relationship with Christ if we don't take time? How do we make sure that that foundation is firm if we don't take time? Listen listen to the Scripture. And, And this is, interestingly enough, I'm going to read a New Testament Scripture and then I'm going to talk Old Testament, interesting. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 10 through 13. Here's what Paul writes. He writes, "By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it." He's laid the foundation, but someone else is building on it. Now, the condition of the foundation, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one laid which is Jesus Christ. He must be the foundation. Yes. And if a man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, this work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Did you hear that? All of those are possible building materials. But are the building materials that we're using to build our spiritual well-being based on this? It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. What will, as, as, as you are tested, when that day arrives, when you prepare to stand before him, what is that test going to show for you and for me? Those are great questions. But it takes us looking deep inside of us and being honest with ourselves. This is the situation of my life. Here are the the problem areas of my life. Here are the weaknesses in that foundation. This is why I struggle in certain areas. But we have to be honest with one another. That's what drives me crazy to be very honest. People aren't honest with themselves. Well, this morning, now I'm going to go to the Old Testament. And I want to look at a king in the Old Testament and, and here's, what the, here's what the Scripture says about this king in the Old Testament. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord just as his father David had done. Now let me give you a little bit of background. The king that I'm going to talk about is King Hezekiah. Now I, I need to lay the foundation. I, I, I need to lay the foundation for you to be able to build on this. Here's the foundation. Right after Solomon, his son Rehoboam came to the throne, came to power. And in turn... Um, he made some terrible decisions. He listened to counsel from from younger men, and the counsel was bad counsel, and ultimately the nation split in two. Ten tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. The nation is divided. There's a northern kingdom. There's a southern kingdom. There's the northern kingdom called Israel, or it's called Samaria. Then there's a southern kingdom called Judah. And the History of the northern kingdom is dismal at best. King after king turned their back on God. As a matter of fact, initially they were, the people of the northern kingdom were told, Do not make your way to the southern kingdom, to Jerusalem, to celebrate any of the feasts. Why? Because they didn't want them drawn back to the southern kingdom in any fashion. So here's the division. And that northern kingdom lasted for 205 years and then it crumbled. And during that 205-year period, king after king after king after king, they were idolatrous. They, they worshipped idols. They, they sacrificed to idols. King after king. And ultimately, God said, that's enough. And the nation fell. And the people were taken into captivity. And then in the southern kingdom, there were some very good kings and some not-so-good Kings. And this king Hezekiah was the 12th from the division, from the dividing of the, of the kingdom. He was the 12th king. Before him, his father Ahaz was one of the worst kings. Ahaz was a terrible king. He ushered in idolatry into the kingdom, into the southern kingdom. I mean... every corner, street corner you would go to, there would be sacrifices being made. There'd be idol worship. He even brought this idol worship and this sacrifice into the temple. Now, for you and I, we go, what does that mean? The temple was the very center of the the people and the country, the nation. It was where God dwelt. And so consequently, when, when idolatry was taken, even into the temple, and sacrifices were made in the temple to idols. You could imagine the spiritual well-being of the nation was at stake. The nation was crumbling. Nahaz serves as king for sixteen years, dies at the age of thirty six. And he wasn't buried with the other kings. He was buried separately. Why? Because he was so bad. So as you look at Ahaz, you would think, how is that going to impact his son? But we read, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. So somehow there was a foundation that was laid that is very interesting. It seemed to be very good. But to understand that, we have to begin to read through his life. And I'm taking this from 2 Chronicles chapter 29 on to 32. Here, here's what you see if you were to read it. King Hezekiah comes to the throne, realizing that his nation is a mess. Realizing that his nation is on the verge of destruction. In the first two months that he is, in, he is on the throne, here's what he does. He opens the gates of the temple, the doors of the temple, and in turn, he, he consecrates, dedicates the, the priests and the Levites, and in turn, he issues the command for them to go into the kingdom, into the temple, and, and pull out all of that stuff the idols the sacrifices out of the temple area. Why? Because he's got to get that temple area clean because it's the very center of their existence. And so he cleanses the temple. First of all, he, he, he opens it, that he, he in turn sac- consecrates the, the priests and the Levites and he issues the command, go in and cleanse the temple. But then he does something very interesting. He declares... The Feast of Passover was to be celebrated. It wasn't the time for the Feast of of Passover. The Feast of Passover was was at the beginning of the year for the Jews. This was was about three months into the year, about a month too late. Well, then why did he do it? Because he knew that he had to lay the groundwork for what had to happen in that nation. And you look at him and you say, what was his foundation? foundation seems pretty good. His foundation seems to be what it should be. So now he's got the the temple cleaned. He's got the the priests consecrated. And now he begins to invite people in to celebrate Passover. People throughout the southern kingdom. But he even goes one step further and he invites people from the northern kingdom. Especially from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. Some people say he, he called his first son Manasseh basically because he wanted to entice the people from the northern kingdom in. Well, whether that's true or not, we don't know. But they come. Now, now when it was first announced in the northern kingdom, they were mocked. They were, they were told this was terrible. But some people began to come, and they celebrated Passover. They sacrificed, sin sacrifice the shedding of blood, thousands of lambs, bulls, oxen. Sacrificed them. It should have lasted for days, and rather it lasted for two weeks. They got done in the first week and they thought, things are going so well, let's have another week. And so they sacrificed for two weeks. They, they, they celebrated. And when the people went back to their homes, what happened? They, they, they began to clean up the mess in their own homes, clean up the cities. The towels. Now, during this time, all, the, all while this was going on, the northern kingdom was under attack by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the, they were the, the nation of the day, the, the, the most powerful nation. And, and the northern kingdom was under attack by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were, were striving to bring that nation down. So that's the, that's the situation. That's what Hezekiah has facing him. So far, he doesn't have a bad foundation, it would appear. Everybody agree with me on that? Okay. You can, talk, you can say amen or anything like that you want to. Don't be, you don't have to be quiet. Now, now we move on in our story. Not only, had, not only had Ahaz made a mess out of the nation that Hezekiah inherited, he also made a mess out of international affairs. You see, Ahaz had gone so far as to make an alliance with the Assyrians. The enemy. He paid them tribute just to keep them out of the nation. And so the Assyrians just thought, well, that's going to continue under King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah is now in power. And King Hezekiah said, no, I'm not going to pay the tribute. And so they attacked the nation. The Assyrians came in. They attacked the cities around Jerusalem. And at that point in time, Hezekiah makes a decision. To pay the tribute. So he strips the gold out of the temple and he pays the tribute. The nation is is besieged. Now, has everybody got this straight so far? Okay, this is the history teacher coming out of me here. Okay, so we've got the picture. Now, here's what transpires. The scripture says that Hezekiah goes to his advisors and to the military people and said, what do we do? And they gave him this advice, build up your arsenal. Sounds good, doesn't it? You need weaponry. If you're going to hold off the Assyrians, build up your arsenal. So that's what he does. They say you need to prepare the, to repair the wall. The wall is being broken down. So consequently, they began to work on the wall. They began to repair the wall. They even tore down houses and repaired the wall. Sounds reasonable. Well, they have to get the water that's outside because why should the Assyrians cut off the water that they're going to need if they're if they are besieged if the city is besieged? So they make sure that they tunnel the water under the walls into the city. One thousand seven hundred and seventy-seven foot of tunnel under the walls. That's what forms the Pool of Siloam. By the way, the Pool of Siloam you'll read in the New Testament. You know where the the lame man is healed? Pool of Siloam? It was created during the time of Hezekiah. They brought the water in. All of that sounds good, doesn't it? But there's one problem. Here's the first chink in the foundation. Guess who he never consulted? Never went to God. His advisors, his military men, never went to God. What he did, there was nothing wrong with it now the question for you and I is do we consult God on every measure of our life we should how about that new car how about the new house how about raising your children how about what you're supposed to be doing for the Lord how about your job Don't let that be a chink in your foundation. How about your future? Never consulted God. Well, the nation is in trouble, and so consequently, finally, Hezekiah turns to the spiritual man, Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet is brought in, and Isaiah the prophet prays with him. And he says to Hezekiah, you need not fear, the nation will stand. And the nation does. Now, if you read 2 Chronicles, what you'll find is it seems a little difficult to follow the timeline. And and that's not unusual in Scripture. There's there's a little bit of of problem following the timeline because of this reason. And it'll lead us to the next chink in in the wall. Here's the problem. It talks about Hezekiah becoming sick, becoming ill. And Hezekiah becoming ill is a a problem because um, he's going to (laughs) die. That's what the scripture says. They invite Isaiah in again. Isaiah says, he delivers this message. How would you like to hear this message? Get ready, put your house in order because you're dying. I mean, talk about blunt. That's what Isaiah tells him. Isaiah leaves, Hezekiah turns to the wall, the scripture says, and cries out to God, spare my life. And before Isaiah could get out of the palace, he is told, go back and tell him he will live for another 15 years. 15 years. So that means he was 14 years into his reign. It's not the point in time where the Assyrians are are strongly attacking the city. So you've got to put that in perspective. But 14 years into his reign, he's told he's going to die. Now Isaiah's been told. He cries out to God. God says to Isaiah, go back, tell him he's going to live. He goes back, tells him he's going to live for another year. Proves it miraculously, which we won't get into. But he goes back, tells him he's going to live for another 15 years. And now comes the next problem. It becomes known that, that he's been healed. And so there's a nation on the rise that comes because they're they're interested in what's happening. It's the Babylonians. The Babylonians come and and in turn, Hezekiah's heart was proud. That's what the scripture says. Hezekiah's heart was proud and in turn, here's what he does. He shows them everything in his palace and everything in the nation. and he is confronted by Isaiah. What did you show them? Now, why is that significant? If you know the history at all, the nation that brought the southern kingdom to their knees, destroyed it, was guess who? The Babylonians. 130 years later, you say, well, that's a long period of time. But could it have been that the foundation was laid for their invasion right there? And that's what Isaiah was confronting. Now, another chink in the wall. What's the chink? The, the, the struggle, the weakness right here is pride. Anybody here have any problem with pride? <laughs> Besides me? beside my brother over here who was totally honest? Hallelujah. Pride is a big factor in our lives. Self-centeredness is a big factor. We don't like to admit that. But it's true. What drives us? Every time I climb on these platforms, no matter where I've been over the years, I have to make sure that I, that I purge the pride out because it comes. There are lots of times I don't want to hear if the message is a good message because pride will rise up if I'm not careful. I don't want that pride. Because it'll be a problem for me. But it'll be a problem for many of you too. The pride factor. And here is Hezekiah dealing with the pride factor. He's got 15 more years. And here's the rest of the story. (laughs) The rest of the story is the Assyrians attack once again at the very end of his reign. And in turn... He cries out to God just like he's supposed to. He brings Isaiah in. They lay out the letters that have been sent in by Hezekiah or by uh, the Assyrian army. He lays them out on the altar and and, and prays over them. And guess what happens? Something miraculous happens in in the Assyrian troops. And all of a sudden, they leave Israel. They leave Judah. And they go back home. And the king of Assyria is killed by his own sons murdered, assassinated. The Assyrians are no longer a problem. But the nation is still in trouble. So what do I learn from this? I learn, first of all, that if I'm going to take care of my spiritual well-being, if I'm going to, in turn, repair the walls, here is what I find from Isaiah. I find that I must, I must, I must look deep into myself. I must be honest with myself. I must be willing to root out the pride, to acknowledge the pride. I must be willing to admit that and in turn repent. None of us like to hear about repentance. None of us like to hear about that word. We don't like to deal with that word. But it's true. We have to repent. We're in a nation right now that that needs to repent a nation that is in trouble and all too often we as a church we've stood by and we've watched the reality is we need to repent because we are not we're not versed sometimes well enough in the book how about you and I where are we in all of this what's the condition of our hearts What's the condition of our, of our foundation? Are we spending the time with Him that He deserves? Are we spending the time to get to know Him? To understand the truths of His Word? Because He tells us how to live our lives. Do we carve out the time that we need? I'm too busy to go to prayer. Maybe you're too busy being busy. I'm too busy... I'm too busy to read my Bible. Maybe you're too busy being busy. Because that is essential. If you don't know what the book says, how can you abide by it? You know, you've you've seen the videos about discipleship. Here's my passion. And this is my fear for the church. My fear is this. We've become too complacent. We come on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half. We think that the sermon is going to carry us. And I'm here to tell you there's more. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are you being transformed? How am I being transformed? What is that transformation agent that is vital for my well-being? transformation of the mind, of the heart, saved for 47 years. And here's what I've learned. Paul writes in in verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. You know, when I stand before God, he is not going to care whether I have reverend in front of my name. He could care less. He could care less about my credentials. He could care less about what I'm doing right now. Boy, it's important that I come to grips with that. Because the 47 years are worth nothing if I don't have the right attitude, heart attitude. And we're all learning. You're learning. I don't care how old you are or how long you've been saved. I'm reading a book entitled Soul Set Free. By John Lindell. John Lindell is the pastor of a multi-site church in Missouri, Something God Church. Thousands of people attend every week. James River. And uh, he said in his book, "I grew up as a Christian. I pastored this church for 27 years. And here's what I had to come to grips with: the grace of God." And I, I, I could relate to him. I'm a doer by nature. He said, I always felt I had to earn my way into heaven. How much could I do? How much could I do that would make me right before God? How much do I need to do? And I came to grips, he says, I came to grips with the reality The grace is God's unmerited favor towards me. I don't deserve it at all. But he gives it to me. His unmerited favor. That grace. But do you understand God's grace? None of us in this room deserve his grace. Do you know that? Not one of us. But he pours it out upon us. And he will continue to pour it out upon us. His grace. Wow. Now here's the reality. This is going to be tough. If you're sitting here and you don't know Christ, you don't have a foundation, spiritual foundation. It doesn't exist. Because you've never acknowledged Christ. So there's no spiritual foundation. But today's the day. And we can kind of walk around that and be very nice about it, but here's the reality. Either you acknowledge Christ or there's no spiritual foundation and what's God going to find when you get to that place of where you're going to be confronted with the Almighty? Here's the next step. If you're sitting here today and you're saved, but you aren't where you need to be. Maybe you're not backslidden, but you're not where you need to be. Then today's the day to take care of that. Amen? Before you leave. Before the day is over. Why? Because there are people looking at you. I have five grandkids, three kids, in-laws, cousins, looking at me. Man, if I don't measure up. What does that mean for their spiritual well-being? If my foundation is of such a nature that it's, 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 there's weaknesses that in turn are going to create havoc for me in the days ahead when things get tough. If my life is of such a nature that the foundation is so in trouble that I'll wring my hands at the moment of trouble and run for cover, that's not the way God wants us to live. Amen. What's our foundation? Is there hope? Yeah. Be honest with yourself. Repent. As, a, as the worship team is coming, I want every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to ask a question. I don't want anybody looking around except me. <laughs> How's that for blunt? No one looking around except me. Here's my question. You're sitting here this morning and you know, you know that you're not right with Christ. You're not saved. You've never acknowledged Christ as Savior. You are far from him in reality. You're here because either somebody made you come, because you felt compelled to come, because it was, gee, you thought maybe it was the right thing. Maybe you've seen something online, maybe. But you're here this morning and you, in turn, know that you're not right with a loving Savior. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be bold enough, brave enough to lift up your hand and say, That's me. I need to know a Savior. I'm not going to stay on this long, but I want you to be brave enough because that's what God requires of us. Looking around the auditorium, I see that hand. Someone else. I'm not going to linger here. But you're here this morning and you know that you're not right. You've not made a commitment. I see that hand. Are there more? Anyone else? Anyone else? Last call. Now here's the next question. You're here this morning. You made a commitment to Christ, but you are not where you should be with him. You know that deep in your heart. Would you be bold enough? Nobody's looking around but me. Would you be bold enough to raise up your hand and say, that's me. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see hands all over. All over this auditorium. I see hands. And now I, I'm going to ask this question. How many of you here this morning, you would have to say, boy, that foundation is not strong. My foundation has some real struggles, some real problems. And if, the, if, it, if it gets tough, if my family has a problem, I'm going to struggle. I, I am going to f- spiral down into fear and anxiety and, and problems. How many of you would be brave enough to say, no, that's me? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Right around this auditorium. See hand after hand after hand. Now let the Lord just deal with you deep inside. You say to the Lord, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. You're not a spirit of fear. I know that to be true according to your word. You're not a spirit of fear. I know, I know, I know that there's hope in you. Now I'm going to ask our, our elders and I'm going to ask our, our deacons and their wives to come. If you would, elders, if you'd come. Stand right across the crowd. Now, here's, here's the reality. None of these people that are coming have it all together. None of these people that stand before you are so spiritual that, they, that they've got it all together and man, they're, they're without a problem. There's no one of us. I'm not standing here and saying, I got it all together. But here's the reality. They're here because they care. And they're here because they want to pray. Not because they've got a duty or responsibility, but because of the fact that they want to pray with you. Now, people, those of you who raised their hands and said, I, I really, I really need to know Christ. We're going to have them people come in a few minutes i want you to feel free to come tell the person that you're praying with that this is your commitment this is your first time commitment so that they in turn can help you and arrange for you to be lined up with a course so that you can grow and you can you can have that foundation laid that you need if, you're, if you are struggling and you're not where you should be with the Lord, I want you to come and I want you to, to be honest with the people standing up here. Pray for me because I am struggling. Would you do that? So while the, the worship team begins to lead us, I want to invite. If you're first, if you if this, you've accepted Christ for the very first time this morning. I want you to come. If you if you are, if you are making a recommitment, you're saying, "I need God to undertake for me." Come. If you're saying, "Boy, my foundations weak," come. If we have to wait in lines, that's fine. But come. The altars are open now.